Hello, friends. Welcome to the After Hours Lounge. Welcome back to all of you regular listeners, which I hope is most of you, because you should be regular listeners. Um, very, very pleased with this one. Hope you guys, um, well, you'll, you'll have seen who it is, so, so it's pretty redundant me introducing him. But uh, I've known this guy for a very, very long time. I've, I've listened to him sing uh, at the, the Wild Wind Tuesday night barbecue. Uh, for many years, I've probably annoyed the shit out of him by throwing bottles around and, and getting in all sorts of trouble. But it's all in good fun. Um, I'm really, really honoured to be joined by the Lord Commander uh, of Wild Wind Sailing and Joyrider TV, Mr. Joe Bennett. Uh, thank you, Sandy. And it's a great pleasure to be here today. I've been wonder- I've been expecting your call and I'm surprised <laughs> it's taken this long. But um, yeah, it's great to be here and um, very excited for what we're going to um, what we're going to go through in the next hour or so. Yeah. No, I, as I said, you know, it's we just said before I hit record, like I've got all these people on this list on my computer and I message them and obviously it's difficult and it's something I've learned over the the podcasting is it's so easy to get caught up in like oh I, I need to message famous people or people that people that are known because then loads of people will listen to it and things and actually if I go back through my my episodes and I'm 60 your episode 60 so there's quite a lot of them now so if I go through them most all the ones that have had the most listens are unknown, complete unknown people you know it's it's quite interesting, you know. A lot of people, I think, find they go straight into that. And actually, not that I'm saying you're an unknown person, Joe. Let's face it: in the sailing world, you're 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 a rock star. Well, you're literally a rock star. But um, I've kind of realised actually getting stories from just these these people who who live interesting lives. And I'm fortunate enough through the season air life that I've I've met so many. So I've kind of been like actually balancing yourself out and just just messaging people you know. So yeah, I'm very glad we've got round to this as well, Joe. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I'll drink so, to that. Yeah. You'll drink to that. Yeah, of course. There he is with an Amstel in hand. So, Joe, I mean, a lot of the people who, who listen, I'm sure they know who you are. You know, they've, they've been to Vasiliki before. But can you just give a quick, um, you know, who you are and what you do to anyone listening who, who might not be so familiar with yourself? OK, yes. Yeah, so um, my main Uh, purpose of life at the moment is that I am the beach manager at Wild Wind Sailing Holidays in Vasiliki in Greece which of course where Sandy used to work Um, Vasiliki that is he worked next door Um, we deal with um, sailing boats catamarans and um, as well as running the beach there I run a team of instructors and I also run a growing YouTube channel called Joyrider TV, where I'm teaching uh, what I like to call the global Joyrider TV community, catamaran sailing, and uh, reaching out to people around the world. And it's amazing what corners of the world I'm able to poke these videos into. Yeah. As well as that, I also run all the entertainment at Wild Wind as well. I... Uh, play the guitar, I sing songs and uh, have been known on occasion to be mildly entertaining, uh, <laughs> but not all the time. Yeah, it's been an it's been an interesting ride. I've been at Wild Wind now for this is coming into my 27th year. Wow. Wild Wind, which who thought it could have ever got to that? I yeah. started off when I was 20 and I was only doing it because I didn't know what to do with my life. Right. And before I knew it, um, I hadn't 
had the imagination to do anything else yeah. but at the same time fell into this ridiculous lifestyle of living in Greece now all year round yeah and yeah it's been a fantastic time and everything that I do I'm really into which is uh what a privilege that is yeah yeah I think that that's one of the most amazing things and that's that's why I mean I stayed in you know I I only left water sports a couple of years ago so it was about 10 almost 10 years for me and I mean potentially different to you I always intended on making it a career but I mean what was take take me back to when you first got the job at Wildwind and things I mean were, were you were you doing it as a bit of a gap year and then intending to move on to something else or or were you were you just yeah why why did you why did you first get into that were you already a sailor at that point oh yeah big time I had started sailing when I was about 10 right I got into some trouble at, at school my dad got me into <laughs> sailing and as soon as I got into sailing I was like hooked immediately right. it was I think it was just like being in charge of something that big like a sailing boat yeah. being that young and in charge of something big was really quite a a novelty so I went sailing pretty much every day um and then from all that I did uh went to school of course went into the sixth form and when I finished in the sixth form I really didn't know what to do with my life as I'm sure most people don't so I started applying to university like most people do but only because I didn't know what else to do and uh, the t- one of the turning points was actually I um, applied to Plymouth to do marine biology right. and thank the heavens that I didn't <laughs> get onto that course because everything would have gone horribly, well, not horribly differently, but very differently if I'd have got onto that course uh, there. But I didn't get into that course because my A-level results were bad. Uh, so instead, I did a course in water-based leisure management in right. Southampton, where there was another 120 people on that course, all in a pretty similar mindset to me. I don't know what to do. I like sailing or windsurfing. There was some kayakers there, yeah, some yeah. water skiers. Um, it was just people like us filling a lecture theatre in Southampton. <laughs> and um, through them, I met a lot, uh, obviously a lot of people who are really into it. And I met some people who'd worked at Club Vass. Okay. And uh, they said, if you're into cat sailing, because I was, I'd specialised by that point and I was definitely a catamaran sailor. Right. And uh, they said, if you like cat sailing, you should get to Wild Wind because it's got to be the best place for cat sailing in the world because it's hot yeah. and windy, got amazing boats. And um, I, before I got out here, I'd, I'd applied for three years, but didn't get uh, didn't get an interview because the team was so small back then. Mm-hmm. So instead, I was working at Grafham Water. For, um, <laughs> Exotic. Yeah, pretty good. There's some goose <laughs> some goose poo there. That's for yeah. sure. And um, yeah, I was living in my camper van, working for free um, at Grafham Water. But they put me through my instructor's qualification, yeah. and I learned such a lot from working there because the guys doing it were some of the best in the business, like cat sailing. And then after two years of that, I applied to Wild Wind again, got the interview, which was on the Guinness stand at the boat show. And, um, and they said, yeah, okay, you'll do. You'll do. We'll see you in Greece. And that was, I, when I got the phone call, 
that is one of the most joyous moments of my life. It was, I just couldn't believe my luck. And yeah. um, it was going to be like the first time I'd ever gone on an airplane, first time I'd ever gone anywhere, really. And uh, there it was, and I got here, and it was true. It's hot and windy. What more could you want? Yeah. I think it's it's one of those things, because it's, I guess, it, interestingly, in a certain way, it, it's, I've got a very similar situation, but um, that, that aspect of when you're a kid and you kind of don't know where to turn and you're like, what do I do? And I guess the, the best thing, your, uh, your dad, who I, who I also know, the, the owner of the finest moustache in all the lands, but I guess one of the best things your dad could have done is put you in a boat when you were younger. And it's one thing, I didn't actually really start windsurfing till I was 18. And even then, I consider myself so lucky that I found that thing that I'm like, this is what I love doing. This is what I want to, and, and I've done it a different way to you, but I've based my life around continuing being able to do that now, you know? And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is they don't find it. And then I also, even though I didn't necessarily start windsurfing properly really till I was 18, I still knew because we went on a couple of sun sale holidays and things. And I remember seeing all the instructors and I was like, that, that looks like a good job. That looks like a lot of fun. And then I remember my mum on my first season at Nielsen and I was working there, my mum came up and she was like, you look exactly like the person that you said when we were on a sunset holiday and we were in the taverna or whatever, and you leaned over and you were like, I want to do what he does one day. And she was like, you now look exactly like that human, like, you know, straw, straw blonde hair, like horrible boardies with holes in them and, you know, a grotty team t-shirt. And she's like, you look identical to the, the person you said. And it was, it was, it was a really great, I guess it was a really great feeling. And it's, it's something I'm really glad that I went and did. Um, and I guess, well, here, here you are, you know, over 25 years later, um, still still sort of doing it. So at, at what point were you, obviously you did that and then and then you kind of continued to progress. I know you were you were one of the original, like the Hellraisers from the UK that used to go out to Cape Town. I know you, because you, you're very into your windsurfing as well, aren't you? Which I guess you kind of have to, when you get to Vass and, and get into it, there must be a certain point where you can't cat sail. And it's something I've always wondered, like, is is it really one of the best sailing locations in the world as well as windsurfing? And then how did you how did you navigate those those kind of next few years? Yeah. So uh, when I first got here, I had started windsurfing a bit already and I was at the kind of wobbly water start kind of stage. Yeah. And I'd actually got into windsurfing in the UK where uh, a guy that was going to come sailing with me was a very good windsurfer. And we'd gone for some racing, but the racing got abandoned because it was too windy. And I, I was pretty miffed because I was really good when it was really windy. So I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, we're going to take this. And <laughs> so I was miffed. And he said, don't worry. I've got some windsurfing kit. I'll teach you how to windsurf. So we went um, up the coast a little bit and he showed me how to beach start. And this is my first ever time windsurfing. And I spent about four hours trying to beach start maybe got going three times, but those three times, the speed, yeah. I, it was like, oh yes, this, <laughs> is, um, this is good. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. And then when I got uh, to Greece, uh, of course my job was sailing, but I got so much help from the guys at Club Vass, yeah. which has always been the way that the Wildwing guys and the Club Vass guys have always got on very well and yeah. and they were giving me a lot of tips girls as well I hadn't experienced that many girls before <laughs> on the path but there was 
female instructors giving me tips. Yeah. And it was brilliant. And like every time I went out windsurfing, I'd come in and about five different people would come and give me a real breakdown on what I was doing wrong yeah. and what I was doing right as well. So uh, it was very easy to get hooked on windsurfing out yeah. here. Just it's such, just such a great place for it. Yeah. And then it was. Um, yeah, but it really is. A, it's it's good for sailing, but for a lot of people in the afternoon here, it is too windy. Right. The yeah, sailing. That's, that's what I've always thought. Yeah, yeah. But the balance is in the mornings here. It's, it's absolutely brilliant for like everyone sailing because we've got the boats that make for the good for the top sailors. We've got boats which make it really interesting, like yeah. the really powerful boats. And then, uh, of course, for the beginners and the less experienced sailors, it's ideal. It's so safe and easy. But yeah. then in the afternoons it would be a much easier place to work if maybe the higher end wind limit was like 20 knots rather than realistically most days it hits 30. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, it was actually a guy who was in charge at Club Vasts mm. at the time. His name was Smiley. I don't know if you ever came no, across him. His real name was James Waters. He lives in Cornwall now, I think. Right. Um, but, um, oh, actually it was, it wasn't, it was him that I first went to Cape Town with, but it was actually me and him were talking to Andy Barnes, who everybody knows. The Barnesy. You, surely you've had him on by now. I haven't. No, he's a difficult man to track down. I should I should drop him a message. That would be that would be the stuff of legend. Yeah, yeah that, that would break the internet. That <laughs> I think it'd break me to be honest. That'd be amazing. Yeah. But Barnesy had been to Cape Town, right? And um, his his girlfriend at the time was really into taking photographs. And we were going through his photographs and it looked like something out of a magazine. It was yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. And I was kind of at the just about able to uh, carve jive level windsurfing. And uh, I was like, yes, I'm going and talked to Smiley. He said, yeah, I'll come too. And then there was this other lad at Club Vass called Kevin, who was like a short guy, massive. We called him Pocket Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's a skydiver now. Um, so the three of us went out, we rented what, uh, a fairly low quality vehicle, stayed in, stayed in a fairly low quality apartment and yeah. um, just Smiley was really good. He was like a level five instructor or something. So he was always taking us out to these ridiculous spots. And every time he'd say, it's all right, you'll be fine. <laughs> and me, me and Kev, who were both a bit wobbly, would be looking out going... Oh, not so sure, actually. Yeah. But we went and that was such a gift, having somebody who was so willing to put you into harm's way yeah. to really propel the learning curve, um, like putting you out of your safe operating area. Yeah, yeah. And into the jaws of uh, doom and uh, broke so much equipment. But I, I actually ended up going to Cape Town for 12 years in a row. Wow. And the best thing is that in my 12th year, when I finished, that was after I got married. Right. Um, or I think it was just, yeah, yeah, because that was the honeymoon. Officially. But yeah, the honeymoon. And uh, it was in that se season in Cape Town that everything came together. Like I was landing back loops quite consistently, yeah. getting nice stalled forwards, wave riding like a boss. And um, <laughs> 
and by that point I'd learned to kite surf as well and yeah. the kite surfing was absolutely off the chain and uh and what's nice because I did 12 years of going to Cape Town in the winters I now have absolutely no regret about um having not done something yeah yeah I think yeah. if you can if you can regret doing too much it's much better than regretting not doing enough yeah sure hundred percent that's that yeah that's like it's one of the big biggest things i say i was i it did i was on someone else's podcast last night and i was saying the same thing like sure you, you always you know let's face it we all do stupid things we regret and you're like oh i wish i hadn't done that but the greater regrets i think you know from me having spoken to people and all that stuff the the biggest regrets you're always going to have are the things you don't do oh i wish i'd you know, when you get a bit older and oh, I wish I'd spent more time traveling and, and getting better at windsurfing. And even the guys I used to teach out at Club Vast, they, oh, I wish I, I wish I'd spent a few years, you know, doing seasons like what you're doing now. You know, I wish I'd, even, even my own, my own dad, he's really into to diving and stuff. And he's like, I really wanted to go to the Caribbean for a couple of years and be a dive instructor and things. But he was like my, at the time, it wasn't the kind of thing to do. And he was like, my dad wouldn't let me and stuff. So it was one of those things I was always like, I'm always going to do it. And those kind of Cape Town trips and stuff like that, like they feel to me now in, in this sort of community that we're in, it's like a bit of a rite of passage, isn't it? You've got to do that Cape Town trip or, you know, Brazil trip or anything where you go and rent a shit car and live in a horrible apartment and kill, <laughs> kill cockroaches and eat, eat super noodles and onions or, you know, you've got, you've got to kind of go and do that. And one thing for me, and this would be interesting to talk to you about it as well. Like, one thing for me, having now left season life and in, in the UK and, and all that stuff, like you get so used to living with not very much that you end up not needing that much at all. You know, like I always say, the most the most expensive thing I own is my windsurf kit and probably, you know, probably always will be because you, you end up thinking, well, I don't need all these extra things that people have, an expensive car on finance, an expensive phone and all these extra bits. You go, well, as long as I can get out on the water for a little bit and and you know, do all that, then usually I'm, pr I'm pretty happy. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, that's one of the strange, um, well, one of the things I had to really get to grips with after getting married, because my wife was definitely from the real world. That's yeah. what I, I call the real world anything that's not here, um, <laughs> was from the real world. And she, she'd had a proper job. She was a nurse. Right. And she bought, pardon, um, she'd owned a flat in Brighton, and she lived a normal English person's life. Yeah. And when we got married, she'd say, right, I'm just going out for coffee. I'd say, yeah, but we've got coffee here. It's really expensive if you <laughs> go and have coffee out. And Because I've always been really, really tight with money. Yeah. So I've always been like um, sort of Scrooge counting the pile of money <laughs> so that I can spend it on something big. Whereas um with her and i think in the real world it just gets you into this thing of whatever money you've got you could just go and spend it on yeah. whatever whereas living as an instructor where you've got no money you definitely squirrel away whatever you can yeah. but over the years it's become and like the same what happened in cape town as well where i started off with nothing living in squalor and you know, crusty shorts, uh, long hair. I think it's the length of the hair is actually proportional to the amount of money and stuff that you have. Yeah. As, as you lose the hair, you get more money and stuff. So <laughs> I'm not saying that I've got money now, but 
um certainly where i'm living in greece is is really nice i think yeah. our house where i am now in the village is probably the nicest house in the whole village yeah um, as a, a whole house and the same happened in cape town that through the years i kind of worked out how to work it in your favor where you rent a big place and then fill it with as many people as you can <laughs> and bring everybody, everybody chips in yeah. and um before you know it you've got a place with a swimming pool right on the beach and there was some absolutely ridiculous mansions that we were living in oh, really? back then. and um we had one place which was right on the seafront and we had a like um what you call it like a pub picnic table in the front garden and on the days where there wasn't any wind i'd just be sat on this pub picnic table playing my guitar we had an umbrella up for the sun had just into the kitchen for drinks and what have you and throughout the day people would drive past pull in come in sit down have a chat have a drink <laughs> and then maybe stay for an hour and then they'd cruise off someone else would turn up I'd say, oh, we're just having some lunch. Do you want some? Oh, yeah, lovely. And <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. And yeah. what was really crazy for me as well was um, I was kind of like rubbing shoulders with the windsurfing royalty, yeah. like, uh, which I never thought that that would ever happen, that these people I've been reading about in the magazines and seeing them on videos, that they'd be coming around to my house for a drink. And uh, yeah, it was great times. And it, it's like the longer that you do anything and stick with anything, the easier it gets and the more you get out of it. And the same's gone for being here and when I was going to Cape Town as well. And it yeah. gets easier as well. Yeah, I think it's, that's like some, something I've learned and it's, it, it's something, it's something it, it sounds like such a simple, like easy and almost like, it's almost silly how simple it is, but literally, and the same could be said, you know, sailing, windsurfing, traveling, anything like the more you do it, the easier it is. Like literally that, that is the way consistency, you know, like first podcast I ever did was awful. First time I ever got on a windsurf board, I fell off. First time you ever sailed, you probably capsized, you know? I would you still still probably do capsize you know i still fall in things like that you know but it's it's the your the level your level of expectation just gets a bit higher higher and i think that's right what you said as well about you know even though even though i do live you know simply and all that stuff i i think my you know i, I wouldn't go and live in a shithole now with you know killing cockroaches and i wouldn't go and uh you know, eat super noodles for three meals a day anymore or things like that. Not, not just because Heidi wouldn't let me do that anymore, but, um, you know, it, I think you, you do get older, but even then I'm still like, you know, when we rent an Airbnb now, for example, I'm like, no, I want, I want a nice one, you know, and I want this and I don't just want to rent a room in someone's house and stuff. Whereas a few years ago, I'd be like, yeah, it's cheap. Let's do it. You know? Um, and I think that you, you're right. As as the hair goes, and as you get older, you do start being like, no, nah, you know, you become a creature of, of comfort a bit more. But I think I've still got that level of like resistance to going and spending eight pounds a day on coffee and going and all these extra things. I'm just like, like when I see someone walk past with like a vape pen, and I'm like, why do they have that? That's so like not just because it's bad for you, but like it's just something you literally don't need. And, you know, yeah. people, people fall into all these all these vices and I'm like just seems exhausting you know yeah for sure man I just don't but the the one that gets me every time is the coffee 
is yeah. where you go somewhere that's really crowded, noisy, um, perhaps a little bit of stress involved of where are you going to sit if it's if it's busy. Then you've got a queue to get a coffee and then you go and sit down and have a chat you could have had at home. Um, yeah. yeah, just bonkers. But um, a, tur- a turning point for me was maybe I think about five years ago. Um, I bought a 50 inch TV. <laughs> That's worth it. Yeah, definitely. Because I thought I absolute one thing I really like, I, or I absolutely love is watching movies. And oh, um, nice. being in Greece and living here all year round, we don't get to go to the cinema. And I thought, I'm going to buy a big TV. Yeah. So I bought a big TV and it was only like 300 quid. And I couldn't believe that you could get such a quality thing for such a small amount of money because the last time I'd looked at them was before I, there wasn't even TVs that big back then was before I started working here. When even if you wanted a small TV, it was twice as expensive. Yeah. um, Yeah. Big moment for me, the the telly, that's when it all changed. I can't, I can't blame you. To me, you can't, you can't be here. I, I bought a projector, uh, a few years ago and it's about this big and it does 180 inches at uh, 1080 HD 1080p HD it's about that okay. big and it is it's, it's unreal the only problem is it needs to be it needs to be really dark for it to work but but yeah no it's 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 good um so kind of kind of moving on then I mean in terms of your your sort of timeline obviously you know as I said you are the you say you're the beach manager I think Lord Commander is a better is a better better title for you um but, but you um uh, at what point did you kind of get promoted to that that kind of management uh position and then what what was that like I mean it's so easy and it's something that's always really pissed me off is people that come out on holiday and all these and oh so when are you going to get a real job then and all this stuff and it's like well you pay thousands of pounds to come out and see me and expect me to teach you to do something that you love, but you still don't call it a real job. So what, what, first of all, I guess this is a question, two parts. What, what's that, what's your experience with that been like? And then secondly, what was it like for you stepping up into that kind of management role? Yeah, to be honest, nobody's ever said to me when you're going to get a real job. I think. Um, Maybe it's more of a club yeah, thing. Maybe it's, it's more of a windsurf thing. I don't know. It's, it's never, it's never happened, but, um, so much, but back, uh, in the day when I'd first started, I'd kind of, when I came in here, I was definitely the kind of catamaran specialist as soon as I got here. So I was quite surprised to arrive at the biggest catamaran sailing place in Europe after applying for three years and then being the best catamaran sailor here. I was like, hold on what's going on here and yeah. um, and I the first couple of years was so much fun like my yeah. first two years I I think I can hardly remember going to bed at all yeah like it was crazy back then was a different level to what the kids have now yeah um, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll come on to that um but um I think it was like after three or four years um, right. I was kind of being pushed to be in charge, okay. but I was resisting because I was having too much of a good time. I wasn't interested in the money or the extra responsibility. Not that the money was anything special. It would be like yeah. an extra 30 quid a week or something. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, and I certainly didn't want the extra responsibility. I still wanted to be the guy who went out sailing all day, every day, yeah. and um, went out on the lash every night, and uh, all sorts of things happened to him, which <laughs> wouldn't perhaps be quite as appropriate to be happening to somebody who is in a, a lot management of position. position. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But then after, I think it was about 2000, 2001, it just appeared absolutely ridiculous not to be in charge because I knew the place so well. I knew exactly how everything worked, what needed doing and when, and anybody coming in would basically, I'd be like the puppeteer if anybody else came in and was in charge. So I just thought, oh, I'm just going to do it. And it was, it was difficult uh, for the first couple of years, especially being in charge because the guys that I was working with on the beach were still my best mates, mm. um, the same age as me. And we'd been mates before I was in charge. And then I was in charge of them. And they were the most difficult people I've ever had to manage because I'd say, all right, uh, do you reckon you could just go and give that person a lesson for the next two hours? And I'd get told, um, no, can't you get someone else to do it? Yeah. It was absolutely impossible. And uh, it was so much fun, but really, really difficult with some difficult people who happened to be my best friends. Yeah, but- that's that. I mean, that's that's something really interesting, you know, because <clears throat> I I guess to a certain extent, I had a similar experience at, at, at Club Bass. And, you know, suddenly you're I mean, I wasn't necessarily management, but I was what we call a, a beach senior. So if 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 Ollie, the club manager or the beach manager wasn't on the beach, then. I would be in charge or, or one of the other guys. And it's always difficult when you get put in a position of more power and then you have to manage your friends because you never know. It's a tough line to tread because it's like, well, you need to do what I tell you, but at the same time, you're kind of my friend. So if you want, you can tell me to fuck off, you know? So how did you, did, do you think that just, do you think you just get better at that purely through experience? Um, yeah, I think so. And I think, it's just like taking your friends aside occasionally away from everyone else and just saying, look, this is my job to get you to do things. If you say no to me in front of everyone else, they're going to think that they can do that as well. And suddenly we've got a full scale mutiny on (laughs) and nobody is actually doing the work, which is teaching sailing, which is pretty nice work. So um, that's the only way that I got sort of over that, kind of hurdle and then when those guys moved on for a long time after that I was really reluctant to get kind of more senior staff in like beneath me if you like right um because I was worried I was going to experience the same thing again of just getting told no I'm not going to do that whereas so much easier getting the younger guys in who are all sort of like oh yes of course yeah brilliant yeah yeah Um, yeah I'll go and do that or sort of like, yeah, all right, yeah, whatever, man. Um, depending on the morning of yeah. the week. Yeah, but but then more recently, I have had some older guys in, yeah. and it is a breath of fresh air because they are, they've all come from, like when I say older, people in their 50s, so older than me. Yeah. And they've come from working in a professional life, and they're doing this as a like a gap year from life or a sabbatical or something. Yeah. And they absolutely love it so much. And they just will do everything that they can that is within their power 
So if you say, could you take these um, two ladies out for half an hour on a boat? They're like, oh, yes. And they're already putting a life jacket on. They're already rigging the boat up. And it is, it's a massive difference. But the way we've got it, like I would say I'm not working with any close friends on the beach anymore. Right. I've, people have become mates, of course, but not close friends. Different, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot easier these days. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that you say, because it's, it's something I've always wondered about. Because um, I know, I know, you know, Wild Wind you know, potentially they, they do things quite differently to your, your Nielsen's and your, you know, your things like that. It's a lot less corporate. It's only one, one center, you know, it's not like staff training you have to attend before you all go out on season and things. So I guess you've got a bit more freedom than, than these other kind of larger centers and things. I mean, you know, to, to kind of operate how, how you want basically, but it's interesting that you say like, so you found it easier having like younger people because they're just, they're just kind of subordinates basically. Yeah, um, compared to working with your mate, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, they definitely will do what you ask them. But um, but more recently, I think in the last 10 years, um, hopefully none of them will listen to this, but uh, um, with obviously many, many exceptions, they seem to have less and less going on. They're oh. all... Um, and what if you know what I mean by going on, like um, there's, if you look into their eyes, there's, there's a lot more vacancy. <laughs> yeah. Than there used to be. yeah. Um, like back in the day, it seemed that everybody was, had something about them that made them interesting. Oh right. God, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? I know I mean, what you mean. I know what you mean. hung up for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but more recently, there's less and less. And I put it down to the fact that more people are living inside their telephone or their. That's literally, I was about to say that. I was yeah. about to say, do you think it's, do you think it's kind of the, cause I'm, I'm basically, I'm the first generation that I, I, tr- social media was becoming a thing when I was, um, I mean, we were on, yeah, 16, 17. So I guess I was the first sort of first of the gen, first generation to start to grow up with social media, but then the kind of generation under me, which I guess are the people that you're talking about, they've lived with social media their whole lives. So I guess it's something that I, it's something that I come back to it so much social media, because I guess it is such a massive thing, but I think you're completely right. I don't know whether it's people because of social media, they're so worried about what other people think. So they, they kind of reserve themselves a bit more and they don't want to come across as having, you know, having these quirks, shall we say, if you know what I mean? Like, you know, they like doing certain things or, or things like that. Or, or whether it's, yeah, I, I always wonder, are they doing that because they're worried about it or are they just, you know, doing doing things to be cool? Um, it, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, who knows? They've, it's like if they're 18, then they've probably been on it since they were 12. That's six <laughs> yeah. years of hard programming, which is perhaps taking something else away that yeah, I, th- I feel very fortunate to have been, as I'm sure you do, um, been born when I was born because I feel like I was at a real sweet spot of the whole yeah. civilization just when um, like I was born in 75. Right. And by the time I got interested in stuff, it was like, um, what would that have made it? 1990. And that's when all the good music was coming out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I had the 90s where it was like some of the best music ever came out in that decade. And then by the time it was 2000, 
then I was already well established here. And I think, is that when social media first? No, it would have been later than that, wouldn't it? Yeah, I reckon we're like sort of, yeah, 05 onwards. I remember when I was a teenager, we had like Bebo and MSN and all that stuff. And then by the time I went on season, my first season was 2010. And by the time that happened, it was everything was Facebook, everything. And it was it, it was everything. And it's it is interesting. And even even for me, you know, going back through through my seasons, I remember my, my first couple of seasons, like on the beach, no one had a phone. No one had a phone on them at all. A couple of people might have had a Blackberry. You know, the nannies might have brought it down. But the water sports instructors had no phones ever. Whereas now, if I, you know, and maybe this is a bad thing. Maybe it's not. But now, like, you know, you go out to Club Vass and like, all the the beach beach staff or whatever, like you know, sitting sitting down, chilling out in between lessons or whatever. Everyone's on their phone. They're all sitting on their phone, you know. So it's, I think it's completely changed even uh, an industry as outdoor as doing seasons and things like that. And it's such a, it's there's so much experience going on all the time, isn't there? Whether you're out teaching, you're on the beach, you're talking to people, you're doing this. I think social media and, and technology and your phone has still infiltrated it so much and changed the way it works. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, um, my my office on, on the beach is right next to the changing room. Right. And even over the last five years, I've seen it change the amount that the instructors are coming back to the changing room frequently <laughs> just to look, just to check their phone. Yeah. And then they'll go back out. And um, yeah, it's it's bonkers because there's so much going on. But then they've got so much going on in there as well. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody said, people have said that we're the, that, you know, this new generation of the most antisocial generation there's any bit ever been. But you could actually argue the opposite, that they're yeah. constantly being social, just not with the people who are around them. Yeah, but, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think they're. Yeah. I think pe- people who say that and it, I think it's. A, yeah, it's a bit of a mundane thing to say something like that you know it doesn't it doesn't really make much sense because that's the whole idea of it is you're being social looking at what other people are doing but unfortunately i think it only adds to things like stress and anxiety and, and things like that and even what's interesting to me is most of the time when you're cruising social media you see people on a beautiful beach somewhere tropical doing something nice and you're like oh wish i was there and then it's like well a lot of the people are <laughs> in vas in a beautiful place yeah. with surrounded by people they you know let's face it when you go on a season you always get really close to the people you're with as well so you you're with you're with your immediate friends at that point so it's like why do you need to and i i hold my hands up i'm completely guilty of it as well i sat there in the beach hut with everyone else on my phone i'd sit at the beach bar on my phone you know um it's only now that i actually work in social media that now i try and like no i'm, I'm not going to do it you know i want to put try and i try and put it down but maybe that's because it's kind of become work a little bit but um but yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting why people, when they are somewhere, you know, they've got the, the perfect Instagram picture in front of them. And it's like, well, why, why, why are you still on your, still on your phone? I, yeah. It's like an attachment issue, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I used to, before, before it, um, all the social media went um, like as it is now and people started having, I can't, um, but you start having a, you'd have a compact camera going back a little bit um and as soon as you see something amazing or nice you had to stop go rummage in your bag get your camera out take a picture rather than just to just enjoy the moment yeah and um 
and that was just I think that was like the early day the early once digital photography came along that yeah. was the early stage of this sort of rabbit hole that everyone's gone down but um I don't think it's as it is it's just change it's just change it's not good or bad it's just different yeah. isn't it I think that's what it is um I first got onto Facebook because one of my mates said um go on Facebook it's a really good way of staying in touch with people yeah and it's like, oh yeah brilliant and yeah. you can message them and it wasn't as clunky as sending an email you didn't need their email address you just need to know what their name was which is yeah. of course a lot easier and then it showed you a picture oh yeah that's him um and then off we go yeah it, i mean that's the thing and initially for me and maybe this is me now showing showing my age as well but it, initially for me like we went down to like the internet cafe uh, on my first season you'd all go and i'd sit on facebook for an hour and i'd just talk to you know talk to my mom i talked to people back home all this stuff and then you'd be like right i'm done you know um, and that's that, you know, especially for working in seasons and stuff, because regardless of, as I said, you know, you're surrounded by all these people and you do very much get caught up in in what's going on on a season, don't you? Like everyone's awful at keeping in contact with what's going on at home and, and all that stuff. So I think there's good and bad bits of social media. I just it, it's really interesting to see what's going to happen with, you know, as as more and more generations, you know, start getting older as time goes on you know, in, in three or four years, what are you going to be saying about your new batch of instructors that show up? You know, are they literally going to be wearing like VR headsets and like, no, I'm not going, yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to go sailing in my room today, you know? The, um, the Google glasses or whoever's making the glasses by exactly. then. Yeah. Um, so they'll have a heads up display for everything that's going on. Yeah. You go, oh, what's the name of that customer? You look at them, their name will pop up in the lens. Yes. Yeah. It'll be, all right, wicked. What certificate have they got? Um, I mean, that might be quite good, actually. <laughs> it'd be very handy. Yeah. Definitely. One of my biggest um, kind of anxieties at work, which makes me a bit, it makes me feel socially awkward, is when I can't remember somebody's name. Oh, it's horrible. And when I know that I should be able to remember, I sh maybe they've told me three times already and I can't remember their name. It actually physically makes me not want to speak to them. Yeah. Because I feel really bad that I don't know what their name is. And I, Maybe if there's someone else there, I'm just sort of waiting yeah. for the name to come up. Like, oh, um, I'll just steer clear of you. Yeah. I went so, through a um, yeah, phase of being like, all right, mate. Hello, mate. How are we doing, guys? <laughs> you know, you just, you can kind of get by to a certain extent. Um, but eventually, yeah, you, you need to learn the name, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's difficult. I've been looking at, pardon, things on the internet with how to remember people's names and nothing works. No. <laughs> I'm usually quite, actually, I think I've always been oddly quite good at it, but what I hate is when they come, you know, they used to come back the year after and they're like, Sunday. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, dear. And I'm like, you, you know, it's, but usually they're pretty cool, aren't they? You know, they, they, they understand. Yeah, it's when people come back, because obviously I've been here for a long time. And when people come back who haven't been for 10 years, oh, yeah. they really recognise them because, before that 10 years, they came every year. Yeah. So they're mega familiar. And you're like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm really sorry. I can't remember your name. Were you, you were here last year, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah, that must be terrible. that must be so difficult. Um, so, I mean, you know, get, go, going back to you, you know, the, the kind of before we were talking about social media, talking about you, you kind of managing people and things. And obviously seasons are quite a, 
it, it can often very much look like living the dream. And to be honest, 90% of the time it is, it's living the dream, but there's always bad things happening. There's always a lot of alcohol involved. There's always a lot of, you know, people falling off mopeds or, or anything like that. I mean, how, what, what's that been like for you? You know, obviously basically you're like, um, oh, I'm doing this job because I love sailing and I want to teach sailing. But then since, since then your job's obviously got a lot, a lot more. And now you have to deal with, all these things going on with staff and with, you know, potentially people having a, having a tough time or, or any, anything like that. What's been, I'm not necessarily being like, tell me the experiences of it, but how do you go about kind of keeping all the staff, you know, happy kind of thing? Yeah, it is actually, when I speak to the staff, I do tell them that my primary concern out here is keep, is making sure that they're having a good time. Yeah. Because of course the staff are out here, they get paid at, I think we, we might even be famous for being one of the worst payers in the industry. I didn't want to say that, but yeah. But, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not my, it's not down to me. It's just down to how things are. Yeah. But, um, so because they, they get paid so little, I really focus on making sure that they're having a great time. Right. But I'm um, also focused on making sure that they're capable of doing their jobs. Yeah. And it was it was a long time ago that I actually uh, probably ten years ago that I actually physic uh, consciously made the decision to stop going out drinking in the evenings. Right. Because every time I'd go out drinking, either people I'd just be there getting in the ear all night about oh he's done this she's done that oh or, really you know this or maybe c- customers saying oh you're you need to give your staff a kick up the ass or oh. all this. And um, at the end of the day, when you go out, you don't want to be getting a load of ear roll. No. So I just thought I'd much rather sit on my balcony, have a beer, 50 inch TV. Lovely. That's me done. Yeah. So that was one way that I tackled it. Um, but I still do. No, I don't. No, I'm trying to say I still do go out occasionally, but I don't. Let's be honest now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then sort of keep it, it's like keeping them in one piece seems to be one of the biggest battles. There's always been, and I think Nielsen are definitely the forerunners in this, is you're not a real seasonaire if you own a pair of shoes. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, when I worked at Nielsen, it was like part of the culture was, you know, don't wear shoes and, and all that stuff. Yeah, which is absolutely crazy. Like I've seen over the years, seen it so many times, um, either at our barbecue, um, where we've got the dance floor with pretty lively dance floor, everyone drinking out of glasses or bottles, and then you hear a smash. And sometimes from playing the music at the barbecue, I'd actually stop playing the music, tell the band to stop, and then make a public service announcement on the microphone. Everybody... If you haven't got shoes on get off the dance floor there's broken glass there because yeah. i'm just constantly in fear that people are going to be slicing their feet to pieces and then people go into the village in the evening like one o'clock at night to go to one of the bars no shoes no flip-flops nothing and then i don't actually know if they're surprised when they end up in the medical center but it is horrendous uh what people put themselves through for the fear of shoes yeah, to, to look to look cool. Like shoes shoes are good for yeah, any any guys listening, shoes are good. They make you look taller. Put them on. You know, I, I 
I did a full U-turn. I went from like wearing no shoes for a couple of years. And I, I stood on some glass in Zeus Bar. And I remember sitting, sitting on the toilet in there. Luckily, one of the instructors I worked with was a nurse. Um, or, you know, she, she decided, like, like you were saying about some of your staff, she quit being a nurse and was like, no, I'm going to go and be a windsurf instructor for a few years. And she literally had my leg, you know, lifted up and she was bandaging me up and, and all this stuff. And then, yeah, I, I was off the water for a couple of weeks and I felt pretty stupid. And then after that, like now I, I don't even I don't even go out in flip flops now. Now I'm like, no, I'm putting putting some boots on or, you know, some steel toe caps yeah, or something, definitely. you know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a standard chat that I give the staff about on the, on the water as well, where um, because we've got a rule where if you're going to be driving a powerboat or in a powerboat, you have to wear some sort of shoes. Right. Which I believe the windsurf is called Schmem boots. Perhaps. I mean, I've been I've been wearing uh, I've been wearing boots windsurfing since 2012. I stood on a bit of I stood on a bit of coral in Egypt, and it was it it was pretty bad. It it was really deep, and I I got a pair of boots, and then the foot healed. I took my boots off, and I couldn't windsurf anymore. My feet just flew out the straps. If you look at I'd say 50 60 percent of the instructors, uh, the male instructors at Club Bass all wear boots. Boots are quite fashionable in freestyle windsurfing as well. What have made a comeback? They have made a cut. Yeah, I reckon they have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we didn't have to wear them in the boat or anything, but most of us wore them windsurfing. Yeah, because my stand, my set piece when it comes to wearing the boots on the boat is, um, okay, so you're out on safety in the afternoon and you come across an inverted mono hull, like a, a dinghy. Yeah. Um, and the dinghy needs help. So you take your bare feet and you jump from the powerboat onto the upturned hull of the dinghy the upturned hull is extremely slippery yeah you slip and you sever your foot just below the ankle on the razor sharp trailing edge of the dagger board this is hypothetical um so you you've now got blood spewing out of the bottom of your leg onto the upturned hull of the boat making it even more slippery that is slippery stuff by which point some of that blood has gone into the water and the hammerhead sharks in the bay have got a taste for that and they've started circling you. This situation's got pretty bad now. Um, <laughs> so it could have all been avoided by wearing shoes. Yeah. Um, that's a set piece for the staff. Well, there we go. It works yeah. pretty well, I think. I um, think, yeah. No, I, I agree. I'm all, I'm, I'm all for it now. I'm all for it. Maybe, maybe it's just me you know, get, getting a bit older and re you realize you just realize you're not invincible. You know, that's the thing as well. Most of the, most of the Nielsen instructors you probably see out are probably about 18, 19 and they just think the world is at their feet. And it's, it's for me, I remember doing it and it was kind of a novelty of like, you know, yeah, I've got cool long blonde hair and I don't wear shoes to my work. I don't wear shoes to work and I don't wear shoes anywhere else. And, you know, it's funny. It's like silly, silly things like that, that you think are cool. And then actually a couple of years later and you, once you get that experience of slicing your foot open or, you know, all that stuff, you're like, oh, actually, maybe there's a reason that we all wear shoes, you know? Yeah, definitely. And and just the walking on the roads where it's so hot and your feet yeah. are sticking, melting to the road. Um, yeah. That, so that's one element that of um, that looking after them, looking after the staff. But then one of the things that um, I come back to quite often with the staff is as well as keeping them happy but keeping them focused yeah. on what's important and that is um to think about the guests in a slightly different way where 
um, like it'd be quite easy for a member of staff who is just out here to have a good time, do some sailing, get drunk, uh, meet some ladies and uh, so on and so forth, for them to actually forget a bit about the job that they're here to do. But the way that I see it is the guests who are coming out on holiday, since the moment they booked that holiday, it's kind of like this holiday has been the light at the end of their tunnel that, okay, I'll get through all this rubbish that I've got to do in my life. But I know at the end, I've got this holiday at Wildwind. Yeah. And that is what I'm looking forward to. And that is why we've got such a responsibility to the guests coming out to make sure they have an absolutely fantastic time. Yeah. And um, and when you sort of put it in that way to the to the young staff, they'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that it, makes man. sense. Um, yeah. yeah, I can see that. And it's not about, um, for a lot of the people, it's not about the expense. It's just about the, all right, it's two weeks that I don't have to go to work. Yeah. I love sailing, want to go sailing. Lovely. And then, of course, we get the guests. The guests are a large range of people. Some of them are really easy going and become your best mate immediately. But some of them do occasionally come across as a pain in the ass. But then the way that I put that across is, OK, the easy guests, that's great. But that is something that you could do with your eyes closed. It's the ones who are the pain in the ass. That is testing your skills as an instructor and as a person, okay. if you can take them as a kind of, they might come across as a pain in the ass because they're really stressed because of the job they've just come from yeah. or something. But if you can take them and by the end of like the first day, if you can be having a beer with them, going cheers at the bar, then you've won. And yeah. that is motivation for the, for the young to test their skills in turning a pain in the ass into a mate you can have a beer with. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's such a, such a good way of looking at it. And I always, I always feel so stupid, you know, on this podcast, sometimes like trying to, trying to shoehorn mental health into a conversation, but you've just, you've just done it for me perfectly in that like a lot, everyone, everyone is fighting a battle and often we don't know it. And like you said, and, and Ollie at, at Club Vass, he used to say the same thing to us alongside the message of, you know, happy staff equals happy guests, which I completely agree with. And I think it's something that the big companies have never fully understood, you know, but there is that level of like, everyone is. And some people like they might have saved up for like two, three years just to come out on this holiday. It might be their honeymoon that they, you know, and the wife might have agreed to it, even though she didn't want to, or, or the husband, sorry, you know, but like people who have worked so hard, you know, these holidays at the end of the day, they're not cheap, whether it's Wild Wing Club Bass, you know, these, these sort of holidays. So people have worked so hard and, and you know, all this and they come out and like, like you said, that is their, that is their time. They're like, this is where I get to be who I want to be. I can chill out. I can drink beers all day. I can go sailing with the, the young guys that work here or the, you know, the young staff, you know, I, I, I get to, you know, completely live the dream for a couple of weeks. Um, and it's something, it's something that was drummed into me, you know, quite young as an instructor, I had some really good, you know, staff above me, um, most notably Ollie from, from Club Vass. And he was always very much like that as well. But I think Club Vass and Wildwind have always, as you said, they work very symbiotically, but they've always had that balance, right. Of like, if you keep the staff happy, often it, it does keep the guests happy. But at the same time, I, I like that. I like that about, you know, viewing it as a bit of a challenge because often like you, you do, 
that's often the danger I think with these instructors and things and is you they do it so much that they you can do it with your eyes closed you can do it with your eyes closed and then you get bored and then you start to switch off and then that's when you don't want to sit and have a beer with guests in the evening or anything like that because you're like well I'm I'm getting bored of this I'm fed up of this you think people people constantly need challenging don't they yeah for sure man and um the thing that I I um I think it was after I'd been here a couple of years I it <clears throat> the penny really dropped that if in the evening you go out drinking with the guests rather than the other <laughs> staff oh my goodness you're in a different world because not only are you not having to pay for anything which when you're earning like 70 quid a week that makes a massive difference <laughs> but also all of these people who are largely uh professional people they've come from such a wide range of backgrounds they've all got such great stories and yeah. such they've got such a lot that they can pass on to you which is <clears throat> one of it's one of the um sort of gifts that you get from doing a season is yeah. the amount of stuff you can learn about so many different walks of life and um careers uh places to live all this sort of thing and um just the stories crikey yeah. you think you and your mates are raucous and uh, can tell some dirty stories you talk to someone who's 40 who's been working in the city oh yeah it's outrageous like, oh my goodness yeah i mean really? it's it's yeah it, i think that that's something as well that the that i learned but again there, there is that you know, going back to, I think there is that inclusive nature in 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 the kind of clubs that, that you work at and that, that I worked at compared to these larger ones where there isn't much of a vibe of like, let's all get together and, and kind of do that thing. Maybe it's just because it's a smaller, smaller place. So you, you get to know these people better. But I mean, I remember one of my friends, Ed, this is when I worked at Nielsen and stuff, and he had him in his group all week. And Ed was doing a few seasons and then he, he'd done accounting or something at uni and he, he wanted to go and get a job after this. And he didn't realize that up until, you know, the middle of the week or something, the guy, one of the guys he was teaching was actually a, the head of an accounting, a huge accounting firm in London, like a bit of a big dog. So at the end of the week at Nielsen, we used to have to do all this weird, quirky stuff. And you, you have to make the guests a, a prize, you know, you make the prize. So you make them, you know, you get a can of Fanta and a stick and, oh, because you were fantastic and all that nonsense. Oh, it's good, actually. We'll use that. Yeah, yeah you should. Oh, I, thought you'd, I thought you'd have that one ready that to go. One, yeah, we would make all the stuff that one. I remember Ed for the prize. Ed printed off his CV. <laughs> he, he went up. He stood in front of the guests and he was like, "Hi, you know, Graham or whatever." And he goes, "You know, you've been amazing this week, and I think we, you know, I think we worked really well together. So here's my CV. Hopefully, we can continue." You know, and I, and I think I, I don't think Ed ended up working for him, but I think he definitely got. You know, he sent him a few contacts, and then yeah, he he ended up getting work and continuing in his career after finishing you know, doing seasons things. And I've, I've always said, you know, I think the, the, the skills you get from doing seasons are, ca cannot be overstated. Like the, from, from learning to talk to people, like I, I've taught people from five-year-old kids to 75-year-old men and women, how to, how to windsurf or how to, you know, do it, whether it's even just helping people with their kit and getting them sorted, you know, people coming up and asking you what the wind's doing and all that stuff. Like you learn a, you learn a level of tolerance um, and a level of like good, I guess good manners is, is a, is a weird way to say it, but it's the only one I can think of right now. But I, I think the, the skills you learn, like you don't learn anywhere else. And I think it, you, you go into later life 
and it maybe it's odd and maybe it's me being um, a bit up myself but sometimes I look at other people and I'm like you know now that I've left seasons and I'm like how how the fuck are you in the position that you're in you know I'm like yeah how, how do you know how, how yeah how are you where you are right now I don't understand because you're an idiot you know <laughs> And it, it is it is odd. And I think, you know, you, you literally don't even know how to talk to a human being. Um, yeah, man, this, the stuff that you gain from being, like like you say, in a season. I, um, before I started working here, I was useless. As a, I think I was pretty useless as a person to the degree where in my first season here, um, there was uh, one of the guys was leaving. And... Uh, somebody actually said oh why is it that he's leaving and not joe leaving because uh he's so cool and joe he's got nothing and yeah. i was like oh okay that yeah. yeah okay then um but from doing this you just really do learn like you say people but also the public speaking yeah. and the confidence with the public speaking is absolutely massive and that's a life skill i think You'd go on. You'd probably pay thousands of pounds to go on a public yeah. speaking course and still not be as good at it as doing a season. Yeah. And I think that comes from the fact that you're an instructor of either windsurfing or sailing or something that you know inside out. Yeah. And you know that you know a lot more about it than the people that you're talking to, even and if they're older. Nothing, anything. Yeah, and there's nothing better than that confidence that will make you feel more com uh, more confident yeah. that confidence will make you feel more confident <laughs> when speaking to people I've never had to picture anybody naked or on the toilet um yeah. while I was doing a public any public speaking because I really did feel that I knew more than they did about what I was talking about yeah and uh that led the way and then for me the second part of the public speaking and the general confidence was there was just um, at some point, I can't remember, it was in my first season, but I realised that if you don't know something or if you get something wrong, rather than fearing getting something wrong, I actually started seeking out getting things wrong and because it was funny. And if I get something wrong or if I can't think of anything to say, I'd just say nothing while I think everyone would start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I would, but I wouldn't. And then because I wasn't looking uncomfortable, they'd then see it as being funny. And yeah. that is how my whole career as a stand-up comedian was born <laughs> from deliberately getting things wrong and really not worrying about not knowing the answer or um, ballsing things up. It was, it just sort of came yeah. from there. I think people, people put too much pressure on other people to be perfect all the time. And I think it's a bit like me with this podcast. I'm always worried like, Oh, what if I, what if I mispronounce something or say something wrong or do this stuff? But I think one of the reasons why it's been so well received and most, you know, most messages are like, I really appreciate how real it is and how honest it is. Like, I've other than we spoke about before I, we started that I've, I've only ever edited one podcast. The rest of them, are, I don't, I see all these other people podcasting and they're like, Oh, I've got, it takes me about two, a couple of days to get all the editing done. I'm like, sorry. Like I literally put it up. I put it up and it, you know, we will finish this conversation. I put the intro with the nice bit of music that a guy called Ben made me. I put that in front of it and I export it and it's done and I upload it to the internet for people to listen to. And it's, 
it's something that's always and maybe you've had the same thing with your uh you know the youtube thing you do now with with joyrider and stuff like that you do the live q and a's and all that stuff like I think people appreciate not being perfect and they find, you know, they do find it funny when you stand there and you go, actually, I'm not, you know, either you be quiet or I'm not sure what I'm talking about here, actually. And I've, oh, I've lost my train of thought. Let me try and bring it back. And, you know, that I think sometimes people appreciate it more often than not, you know, uh, people definitely appreciate that more than you just bullshitting them. People can smell that a mile off, can't they? Yeah, definitely, man. Um, Like one of the common ones for me in the queue, I just did a Q&A this afternoon. Yeah. One of the common ones is um, I'll just, I'll be talking like the, the gob will be on autopilot <laughs> and then I'll just stop and I'll say, to be honest, I'm just making this up as I go along. Put it in the comments if you're happy with what I'm saying or if you think it's a load of rubbish. And um, people are usually really supportive. And yeah. They're like, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. And But, um, but with the, uh, the videos the way that the videos evolved was I was going sailing um, and just doing a, what do you call it? A narration of yeah. the sailing. So yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, seen so them. I'd be pretty much shouting around the bay, standing on the side of the boat. But I, and I would only be mindful of not using bad language unless right. I could really not help it because I know a lot of my audience are younger people. Okay. And from having a young person who watches YouTube videos, as soon as you hear, um, you know, shit or fuck or, or yeah, you're like, oh. um, then the parent immediately <laughs> says, you're not watching him anymore. Yeah. And, um, sorry, did I just, I might have just swore. It's um, all right. I, I swear, I swear as well. It's all right. I don't, I doubt um, Harry's going to listen to this, is he? Okay. Sorry to any younger listeners who might have just caught me there. Um, but so I'm just mindful of that. And then, right. Afterwards, I'd come in, chop off the ends and render it and then uh, send it to YouTube and then off we go. And just the zero editing is a joy. Yeah. Whereas I do one video each week. I think I might be going off topic a bit here, but I do one video each week where we look at people's boats around the world. People send me their pictures of their boats and That's I awesome. put together a, a video usually featuring two or three boats each episode yeah. just up to episode 95 this week wow it is bonkers but people send me essays about their boat like it takes me about half a day to read this novel that they've sent me about their boat and then the pictures and try to slot it all together and doing that for a 10 minute video can take me probably about five hours or something to put yeah, together. I bet. Whereas one of these half an hour videos of me sailing around the bay, which would then get a hundred thousand views. Wow. I don't have to edit it at all. Yeah. Um, hardly. And, um, but it's this one called show us your cat, which has built this community that I've got where, yeah. because everybody loves looking at other people's boats. Yeah. I was going to say it's mental. It's such a it's such a technical sport and things. And I mean, again, windsurfing is to a certain extent, but I know sailing takes it to another level. But it's just so it's so awesome to have something in your life like that, isn't it? To get an essay from someone like they've literally sat down and they're like, I'm going to write this. Or they may have already written it or something like that. But to have a passion like that to me is is something so important. I talk about it a lot of having something that we call in, intrinsically motivating. So you don't you don't do it because it earns you money. You don't do it 
necessary, you know, because it makes you look cool. Of course, it, it you know, things like sailing windsurfing do that anyway, but you, you don't do it for those reasons. You do it because you love doing it, you know. So this guy sitting down. So it's such an awesome thing to to kind of create this this community and stuff. So, I mean, go go into that a bit more. How did you, I mean, I know, I you know, for years, anyone who's been to Vass will have seen someone with a Joyrider hoodie or T-shirt on and things, but how, how did this sort of community thing start? And then obviously you, when we spoke about doing the podcast, you said it's kind of now the biggest, is it the, the biggest sailing channel on YouTube now? Not that it's not the biggest sailing chat. There's loads of sailing channels. Yeah, yeah. bigger, Which for some reason, all this sort of um, cruising on yachts, yeah. like people going off on adventures, um, they have like million subscribers. Whereas yeah. I've got about 17,000 subscribers yeah. at the moment. Um, but um yeah it's the probably the most um the most well-known uh sailing mm -hmm. channel for small catamaran sailing yeah, yeah. Like, like hobie cat sailing especially nice and that that all came about it was actually following a club vast barbecue you might have even been there or it might have been before you were there maybe but, yeah um but whoever was designing the Club Vass clothes that year, right? Um, the clothing said um, free rider and it had like stripes and a star. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And then they did the special T-shirts for the staff that said freeloader. And <laughs> I thought that's brilliant. And then I thought, hold on, I've got something here. So I thought joyrider for what yeah. we do. And... Then I got my um, my cousin, who's a he's a graphic artist, um, and he's very good at it, to come up with a design for me. I put yeah. it on some beaters vests, and um, because you couldn't back then, you couldn't get a decent vest anywhere as well. Yeah. Uh, it's now part of the everyday uh, clothing Attire. range. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so that's how the kind of name started. And then I'd always been filming stuff just from when I was going to Cape Town as well, there'd always be someone sat on the beach filming and some, and everyone yeah, else yeah, yeah. out. And then I was filming as much as I could here as well, but not really taking it seriously. But then I had two videos that went massive. Oh, really? I had one, one which had um, about 200,000 views. Wow. And looking at it now, it is awful. The quality <laughs> from whenever it was 10 years ago is absolutely terrible and then yeah. i had another one which was actually pretty good which was one of the guys rob on the beach sailing a laser that's had like three hundred fifty thousand views now Sick. and then i thought oh hello and we started getting some traction some followers but then sort of forward wind a couple of years i've been always very good at maintaining the catamarans as well as sailing them and yeah. I started off just making like boat maintenance videos. And yeah, how, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. How to uh, put the boat together, that kind of thing. And then eventually I got around to doing the instruction videos as well. But there was one where it all changed, which was I was out uh, sailing with a Dutch lady doing a joyride and I had a camera on my head and I was talking to her about what we were doing and stuff. And in the comments, it was just like absolutely loved the commentary, like loads of people saying, love being able to hear what you're talking about. So yeah. then the next video I did, we went out with three cameras on the boat and consciously talked about, I just 
shouted about everything that was going on, like, oh, she's going down. Okay, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm doing this. Oh, gust coming. Oh, doing that. Oh, there's Sandy windsurfing. He's out of control. Look, oh, <laughs> not bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then that video went berserk. That got so many views straight away. So, and yeah. that's when it really turned to what it is now to being really popular and successful. I feel like I'm in a, uh, a very privileged position to have the kind of ear and the eyes of so many sailors around the world that mm. even so, some stuff that I put out isn't really that good. And there's much better stuff that other people are putting out, which is getting like 50 views. And I'm putting out something that I don't think is that good. And it's getting like 5,000 views. Yeah. Um, but mo of course, most of the stuff I put out is absolute solid gold, as you'd yeah, expect. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think... Yeah, I mean, what's because it again? It, I guess it, it's a similar experience for. I can only speak to my my own experience of me since I started the podcast. And like, all I'll say is like, it's it's really cool, isn't it? It's really fun starting your own little your own little thing, and especially when you start seeing it's appreciated. But even if even if it's not, you know, kicking off and the biggest sailing and millions of views and all this stuff, it's still really cool ultimately because you know you're helping people. You know that you're helping these guys. Oh, I, I now know how to rig my boat better. Or I, I feel like I got some really good tips on sailing downwind from watching Joe's video the other day. Or, oh, this is something that, you know, Joe's, it, it gives you, I guess, does it give you the same, because you must get that same feeling that I get when you, when you teach someone a new skill, when you teach someone, you know, for me, it's windsurfing, for you, it's sailing or something. You kind of do get this warm and fuzzy feeling when they, you can see the elation on their face of like, I've just, I've just done something. I've, you know, something, the pennies dropped, you know, the light bulb switched on and you get that feeling. Do you get that? I get that feeling now from doing this podcast. When I get a message from someone, whether it's, you know, one of my deeper episodes about mental health and they go, look, I found it's really helped to even a guy messaged me the other day and he was like, the fact that you talk about going bold so much has made me feel better about the fact that my hair is going on my head, you know, silly things like that. And they make me feel really great. Do, does, does your YouTube channel do that for you as well now? Yeah, it definitely, it, it definitely does. What, what it does, which um, teaching the sailing on the, on the beach never did as well. Yeah. Is, um, because the, the people coming out on a holiday, you give them a great time for a week or a fortnight, but chances are they're not going to touch a boat until they come on holiday the next time. Whereas yeah. I'd say probably 99% of my subscribers, they've all got their own boats. Yeah. And I know that I'm helping that person to get more out of that boat, yeah. which is essentially like giving that boat the biggest upgrade they could possibly give it is actually knowing how to use it a bit better yeah. rather than spending however much on a new rudder or something. They they know how to use it better. They'll get more out of it. They won't get frustrated. And yeah, I absolutely love being able to help that many people. <laughs> and what I tell them quite often is they'll say, Joe, why do you keep doing this? And I'll tell them, it's because I do feel very privileged to be in this position where I am living in paradise with this fleet of boats at my command and these great conditions. And what I'm doing is just spreading that kind of privilege to the whole of the catamaran sailing world. Yeah. Um, and just passing it on so that I can help as many people as possible. And especially the people 
who are going to get the most out of it, who are the people who've got their own boats or who are going to do it the most frequently. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 No, it's, yeah, it's such a great, I mean, you know, we chat about social media earlier, like that's, I guess that's one of the great things about, you know, social media and, the, you know, all this stuff, like to, uh, to a certain extent, to me, YouTube is a social media, isn't it? People build their channels and all this stuff. So that's one great thing that's come out of it is that you've created this whole community and, you know, you're, you're bettering it. Like we said, you know, people have saved up for years to come on this holiday. These kind of guys might have saved up for years to buy a boat. Finally, I've got a boat and I can spend my weekends going, you know, sailing at the local club with my cat on my cat and all this stuff. So you're essentially you're providing a service, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And and like the price, the, uh, don't, shouldn't say it probably, but the price of coming out for two weeks, you could get a, a fairly good boat for the same money. and. Yeah. Um, but of course, you would—you'd probably still have to go to work during the day, and all well, that's that. the thing. coming yeah. on holiday, it's all about putting your feet up, isn't it? In a lovely place. Yeah. But um, yeah, just helping so many people—it's um—it is nice, and I get so much great feedback as well, which I really don't ask for it. But I'm—I watch the kind of groups on Facebook, and whenever anybody asks a question, the first comment will always be, "Have you seen Joe's video on it?" on that's awesome YouTube, here's the link um, yeah. it's kind of like they're all promoting the channel for me yeah because it's it really is like a community i do feel it's not just me although it is just me but yeah. but it's the community that have made has made it as good as it is yeah i think yeah. that's that's something as well you know uh, uh, it's it's something again that people regular listeners will be super bored of but i think it's that it's that thing of trying to find your tribe in life as well isn't it you know find find your kind of group of people that you're like these these are these are my people and they do the weird thing that i like doing you know and once you find that you really do try and give everything to it and again i've said me, me and you are both very lucky you know you you found sailing at a young age and you kind of found that that tribe and, and i found windsurfing and things but for you now to be giving back to it, not just by teaching and, and managing wild wind and things like that, but people all, as you said, you've reached all the corners of the world and people will never be able to come to wild wind and things, you know, and you, you've, you're helping contribute to that, to that tribe now. Yeah. One of the, one of the, um, the biggest things that I've had sort of lately is from the community. I actually got an email from one of the guys and he said, I've hooked up with, I can't remember the names, of course, because uh, remembering names, names. <laughs> issue. Um, but he said, I've arranged with these guys in Brazil, these guys in Moscow and these guys in California to come out all to Wildwind at the same time. No way. And they've never met. It's only through the videos that they've met and they've obviously started emailing each other and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Other pictures. And they're all going to come out as a sort of blind holiday date kind of thing. <laughs> like eight people from all over the world. It's absolutely crazy. That's insane. Um, but um, it really is so good because all these people know each other, but yeah. just by their YouTube username mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really odd. Um, That's yeah. so cool. Mm. That, that'll be, well, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be a pretty fun week, to be honest, won't it? It'll be. Definitely, yeah. And I, I'll definitely be doing some uh, subscriber dinners yeah um, absolutely yeah, yeah. So cheese all round. exactly yeah, here we go. so ju ju just to kind of i mean we've been talking for a long time but just just before one one last thing i wanted to to kind of chat about you know 
as I said at the start, or maybe I said it before we hit record, but you are you are a man that wears many hats. You know, you are Mr. Joyrider, you are, you know, Mr. Wildwind and things like that. And, you know, you, all, all this stuff. But you also, as you said, you you you, you do it. You're very involved in, in the kind of music side of it as well. You know, every Tuesday night you have a live band and it's kind of your your band and you, you've done gigs in the in the UK. And as you said, you're in Cape Town, you sit and play your guitar and things like what's. I'm I'm the most unmusical person you could ever meet in your life, and I I dream of being able to be that person that goes and sits at the train station piano and whips a song out, and everyone loves it, and you know all that stuff. Like I dream of being able to do that. A guy on my first season, we went into a bar once, and there was a piano, and he was like, he was like, right, and he was quite a quiet, unassuming guy, and he goes and sits down and just like belts out the piano, and everyone's like, oh my god, you know, and uh, I, I yeah dreamed of that, but. Obviously, you you're super into the the music side of it. How 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 did you get into that? Why what what does that what does the music kind of do for you? Because you've already got all these other amazing things you do. Um, yeah, what what does music do for you? Yeah, I I think generally what music does for me. I I just really really love listening to music. Firstly, right. And if I'm ever not in a good mood, which the wife would probably tell you, if you were to ask her, is more often. Than it used to be like over the last five years for example I have more times at home when I'm not grinning from whisker to whisker um, where I'm pulling a face for some reason but if I put my headphones on and I put on a tune that I like then that's me sorted out I'll start dancing in the kitchen right um, I'm not a great dancer but I will dance in the kitchen with the headphones on um, and so, but music is, I absolutely love music, I have to say. And yeah. it's like my, I do come from a very, very musical family. Like yeah. my dad's a musician, my mum's a musician. Right. All my grandparents were musicians. Um, and I was, from a fairly young age, I was, I think my parents were a little bit hoping that I'd go down the musical path and follow in the footsteps. But I really didn't want to because... I didn't quite, I didn't like how their lifestyle was. Like my mum was always waiting for a phone call for the next gig to come in. Right. So, um, so I kind of rebelled against it, but along the way, um, when I went into the sixth form, one of my new friends, when I went into the sixth form was a guitar player and he came around to my house. My dad had an old beaten up plastic string guitar. My mate picked it up. And he started playing Metallica on it. Sick. And we were into Metallica. And yeah. um, I absolutely couldn't believe that you could play songs that you like yeah. on anything. I thought it all had to be like stuff you'd never, you didn't even know how it was meant to go. Three blind mice. <laughs> exactly. And I'd had piano <laughs> lessons and stuff when I was younger and I really didn't like it at all. Right. And then he showed me how to play um, I think it was won mm. by Metallica. Yeah. And I was absolutely hooked. That was yeah. it. Um, I spent all my time when I was at home playing the guitar. My mum actually sorted out some lessons for me uh, to start off with. And then when I came out to Greece the first time, there was another guy here whose name was Egon because his name wasn't actually Egon. He was Joe as well, but I called him Egon because right. he looked like Egon out of Ghostbusters. Um, as you would um, but he played the guitar as well and I played pretty badly but I was into it yeah. so every that's when the barbecues 
first started, we both would sit on after everyone had eaten. We both sat on a, on beer crates with the acoustic guitars. He'd say, "Do you know this one?" I'd say, "No." He'd say, "Yeah, it goes like this," and we'd learn it live. Yeah, and shout it to the audience, and then I'd say, "Do you know this one?" He'd say, "No." Same thing, but from the other side. Yeah. And yeah. over the years, that has escalated um, up to I think the peak would have been in '99 before the pandemic when we were still allowed to have a jolly old knees up yeah um, where the barbecues people would come that down from all over the village mate i don't know how many people but must be like 300 400 people maybe absolutely rammed yeah and and it was just an amazing thing and that is one of the things that's kept me coming out here so interesting right. is to have the sailing during the day and then the music in the evenings yeah and over the years i've had to play with a lot of different people i've become reasonably competent at playing the guitar i've yeah. had a lot of people come out and show me bits and pieces so i've started accompanying other people yeah and then after quite a few years of accompanying other singers i started thinking I've taught so many people to sing this song. I reckon I could probably do it better myself. So then I actually in private tried singing some of the songs. I went, yeah, actually that's a lot easier. I don't have to practice with somebody who wants to go through it 50 times before we can perform it. Yeah. And then I started singing the songs as well. And it's given me so much more freedom. And so in the winter, I spend a lot of time listening to the radio, just thinking, is that a song that I could do? Will people like that? And then I'll go about learning the songs. So I've got new material for the next week. Yeah. Um, coming up or for the next season coming up. Yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a, it's another string to the bow to keep it interesting as well. And I guess, as you, as you said at the, at the start, you know, um, and I, you talk about this as much or as little as you like, but you know, sometimes if you find you're having a, you're having a hard time, I guess, music for you is that kind of escape isn't it it's that right oh this is this is what's going to get me out of my my funk my, my bad day bad morning you know wh whatever it is yeah sometimes it is funk that gets me out of my funk funk gets funk funk very regularly gets people out of funks i think doesn't it yeah definitely man and there is a little gray area where funk crosses into disco and you've got to be careful in that area yeah like um, you've got Earth, Wind and Fire and Call in the Gang. But if you hit Call in the Gang in the sort of 70s stuff, then it's more funk. But as it goes more into the 80s, then you're looking a bit more at disco. And that is a fine line that one must tread on this journey. And um, who knows where you might end up. I'll leave. I mean, that that is a line that I will leave you to you to tread, Joe. I just want to I just want to be able to go and stand there and be a bit silly and have a have a nice time and. And listen to yeah, that's a that's a line I will let you you tread, Joe. Because as I said, I'm very, I'm yeah, I'm not not a musical man whatsoever. I mean, I I love listening to music and I listen to a lot of music. And oddly enough, I went to so many gigs when I was younger and things, but it was just never. I guess maybe I slightly again go back. It's something that I regret not doing. Is that is is trying to carry on, uh, you know, doing a bit of music when I was younger. But same same goes you know i had an awful music teacher at school that completely put me off the subject and she was just the most horrible woman ever so i was like well I, i'm not interested in this i'm out you know yeah my my um the th the thing with music is when you're into music playing it 
you've never got any time because all of your spare time is taken playing something. Yeah, yeah. And I've got this real problem where if I hear anything, any genre, and I think, oh, that's cool. I can't just listen to it and enjoy it. I'm like, all right, I've got to go and write a song that's similar yeah. to that and record yeah. it. And it doesn't matter if it's like funk, if it's hard rock, if it's metal, even if it's electronic dance music. You're like, I okay, we'll never go. I went through a phase of becoming an, elect an EDM producer. <laughs> Especially when I was in Cape Town, if I couldn't sleep, <clears throat> I'd get up in the middle of the night and and write a banger on my little keyboard. Yeah, yeah. I did have one of my songs played in the Zeus bar once. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. That was the highlight of my EDM career. <laughs> a very prestigious venue. Well, yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> nice. Well, I think let's uh let let's sort of wrap up wrap up there then, Joe. I mean, we've 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 talked about we've talked about everything on my list anyway. Um, but just to finish up, there's a couple of quick fire questions then. Uh, if I'm honest, I probably know the, well, I know the answers to, to a couple of these questions for you anyway, but we'll, we'll do it anyway. Um, as, as you said, before you, you started my, or our, our friend Max, who's been on the podcast before, he recommended that you, you bring a couple of beers along for the conversation. So I, I very much know you're a, you're a beer man. You enjoy a couple of, uh, the, a bit of the golden ale. Um, what are your, what are your beer recommendations? What's your, what's your favorite, favorite beer to drink? What would you, yeah. Um, in in Greece, it's the Amstel. Oh, that's what I was waiting for. I knew yeah, it was it's be... the Amstel, but um, Amstel isn't the same everywhere. No, it's not. You go to Cape Town, the Amstel tastes more like Heineken. Yeah, um, so another very fine line to tread. Yeah, are you, uh, are you when you went to Cape Town? Were you, uh, we used to drink the Carling Black Label, which is like six percent or something. Like you have three of them and you're gone. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the locals call it Zamalek. Zamalek. It's the working man's beer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. But oh, it's heavy. also down there was the Hunter's Extreme. Right. We used is... to have Castle Light. Is what we used to drink. That's perfect. Oh, yeah. uh, the post beer, the po the post windsurf beer was Castle Light. It's so good. Yeah, Castle Light for at the at the house. Yeah. Um. Very nice. And um, Hunter's Extreme was like cider with Red Bull in it or something. Oh my god. And there was a period when um, like Ben Prophet and Pip Pardo were out and there was a quite a big crowd of lively people and we'd all be in Buckley's drinking Hunter's Extreme and it was like we'd been doing something like uh, a lot less legal than that. <laughs> <laughs> the after effects were mental. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah, definitely some, some bad headaches back then. Yeah. I'm quite glad to be over that stage. But it's like everything, like... Um, drinking to excess perhaps a little bit of experimenting with substances and things it's all stuff that i've done and i'm glad that i've done it because now i know what it's like so yeah. if my little boy um decides he wants to do some acid at some point <laughs> i will strongly recommend I'll, I'll make some strong recommendations for him and um that's not good for your mental health i could tell you that yeah but, um yeah, but um, it's I'm just glad that I did it back then. Yeah. But now I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah. I've, again, I'm I'm a huge advocate for that. You know, trust just when you when you're younger and stuff, and you do as as you get through life, you do get a bit more cynical about it all because you do have those experiences. So you're like, well, I don't think I want to do that anymore. But it's much better if you can say that from a point of reference rather than a point of oh, I wonder what it's like. You know. Yeah, definitely, man. 
and I and I still on a sort of similar uh, topic. I still put down as one of the biggest achievements of my whole life is giving up smoking. So oh, yeah. So I would. That is something that I'm not not glad that I. I'm not glad that I started smoking in the first place, yeah. but to actually be able to give up smoking and how hard that was. But since I gave up, just to be able to give up and never turn back, yeah, that has good. been, I'd say, one of my biggest achievements. Yeah. yeah. And, and now I'm kind of, if I've got an addiction, I'd say I'm addicted to feeling as well as I possibly can. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just want to do so much with my time mm. that if I'm feeling a bit ropey or not into it because of something that I've done to myself, then I'm going to be really cross. So I'd rather just feel as good as possible as much of the time as possible. Yeah, that yeah, that, uh, that make, makes yeah makes complete sense. Especially, and I'm I'm kind of the same as well. You know, I've started like stretching for 15, 20 minutes a day and doing all these bits because I'm like, well, I I want to be I want to still be able to shackle when I'm forty five years old. You know, like I'm like I, I want this I want this to carry on. You know. Um, so it's, I, th- I think it's important. I think, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, aren't they? Um, but yeah, sm- smoking, smoking is a huge one. I saw there was a thing the other day saying apparently in a generation, in a couple of generations, it's not even going to exist or something like that. Oh, wow. Well, uh, that's good for the future generations, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, um, so ne- next question, uh, obviously we've been in COVID. It's been, been a bit frustrating. Obviously you've probably had a very different experience. Um, but I mean, if you click your fingers right now, where's your, where's your happy place? Where are you? Oh, um, the Cattle Baron Steak Ranch in Cape Town. Oh, my man, I, I thought you were going to be like, right here in Vass, but that is a much more interesting, that is a much more interesting uh, answer. I've been to the Cattle Baron. That is, it's a good restaurant, but it's quite weird inside, isn't it? It's all like red velvet and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's bed classy. It's a, yeah, it's a, cla- it's a classy joint, isn't it? No, the big game changer there was when we discovered you could take your own wine with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was massive, and um, it was never the same again. That's but, one uh, thing. That's one thing about South Africa, and I'm sorry for all the vegans listening, but the meat, the steak that you get there is like like nothing else I've ever I've ever eaten in my life. Not necessarily just the cow baron, but just in South Africa in general, it is it's next level, and it's so cheap. Yeah, if there's anything to make you give up steak, is to go to South Africa, have a season on the steak there, and then go somewhere else and realise that the steak everywhere else isn't as good, yeah. so why bother? Um, yeah. like I've, I don't think I've had, I've maybe had, since 10 years of not going to Cape Town, I've maybe had a total of 10 steaks. Yeah, and it's not the same, like, is it? Nah, not as good. I'd rather yeah. have a sausage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Greek, can't be a Greek sausage. Um, and then... And then finally, Joe, I, I actually I actually didn't realise this, but you, I didn't realise you were you were a movie man as well. But most most season airs usually are into watching films and stuff because it's it's a nice thing to do. But I'm very into it as well. So I mean, what have um what have you been watching? What's your lockdown movie TV recommendations? What have you been checking out recently? Oh yeah, we've been we've been doing the net, uh, quite a lot of Netflix as yeah. people do. Um, in the documentary, we've been watching that Formula One documentary on netflix i started so, it yesterday yeah i tell you what it was um episode five i think of season three. Oh yeah i'm on season i'm on season one at the moment but right, no i won't do any spoilers but um i actually cried oh really yeah wow. um it was i was just so touched by it. it it made me cry 
And awesome. the, wife, the wife actually said, are you crying? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no. Yeah. But um, I, I love, um, this might shock you. I love Star Trek. Right. I think Star Trek keeps you on a really good moral compass. Yeah. Um, you know, it tells wrong. And I watched this winter all of Star Trek Discovery on yeah. um, Netflix. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And those have, those have been the main things. But you know what it's like. There's always so much that you watch. You're like, oh, so good. But then once you finish the season, yeah. you're on to something else. Yeah. Then you've forgotten about it almost. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's such a lot of good stuff out there. I quite enjoyed the latest Terminator movie as well, strangely. Oh, I've not, I've not seen that one. The one with Linda Hamilton in it again. Yeah, Dark Fate. Yeah, I've not seen it. Apparently it is good, though. Apparently it's really good. Yeah, Terminator 2 was my favourite film for a very long time. That's so good. Um, so it's because I, I was in the right place, yeah. the, the right age when it came out. And, yeah, I've continued down the Terminator series and uh, loved them all. Even when people slate them, I still very much enjoy them. Yeah, yeah, still give them a go. Yeah, no, I, I I need to watch that actually. And then yeah, I, I started on some more friends recommended the Formula One documentary recently, and I was like, this is insane. Yeah, so yeah. good. It just just hooks you in to one team and actually makes you sort of have a an emotional connection with that yeah. team for that race. And then when they do well or they do badly, you're either really happy, you're so happy for them, or you're just gutted that yeah. you crashed on the first corner. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's um, it's deep. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, well, Joe, thank you very much for coming on. Um, well, quickly before we go, where can, um, so, so where, can, where can people find you if they're interested in, in, in checking out the kind of, all the stuff you get up to? Oh, yeah, that would be on YouTube. If you, um, and you just put in Joyrider TV. Right. And I will, it's not actually what my channel's called because what I realised later on was you can't actually change your channel name. No. Um, once you've got a channel name, if you want to keep the same channel. So my channel is actually called Joseph Bennett. But um, if you search Joyrider TV, because I hashtag Joyrider it comes up. TV yeah, yeah. on every video, then you will see what I have been getting up to. Done over 750 videos now. Woo! And That's I've mad. been on for about nearly 5 million views in total. So That's insane. Okay. These are some big numbers that I never thought I would encounter in my whole life. So yeah, yeah. No, that that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, well, yeah, guys, uh, thank you very much for listening. You can you can find me on uh, at the After Hours Lounge on Instagram. I don't have five million views, unfortunately, uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll get there one day. We'll get there one day. But yeah, if you guys do want to support the podcast, please like, share, subscribe. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give me a follow on Spotify. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Well, I know most of you listen on Spotify, but still that would be very much appreciated. Um, and then on the link in my bio, you can also buy me a beer because as I say, all this talking is thirsty work. Um, so that would be very much appreciated. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on um, and we will see you guys for the next one. <laughs>